0: Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. What I want to do this morning um, is, you know, Tone was sharing, when I first went on holidays, we started a series called On Mission. And uh, it was just a great, um, you know, in that in that uh, six-week period, you know, Tony just unpacked a whole bunch of things about you know, God's heart behind the mission that we're a part of, because as a church, you know, we're not here just marking time until Jesus comes back. We're actually called to a mission. We're actually called to make a difference in the world in which we live. We're actually called to see people come to know Jesus for themselves, and as a result of that, see individual lives transformed, to see our communities ultimately transformed and prepared for his coming, which will happen hopefully not too far off. And so, you know, we've we've learned about the heart of God, we've learned about some of the practical things that we can do, we've learned about trying to identify our sphere of influence and all of these sorts of things. And I was listening to that and I was doing some reading recently, and I thought, well, although that series has has finished, I do just want to pick up on some of those things this morning. And this message I'm entitling The Power of One. And I think hopefully it'll bring some um, just another dimension to that which Tone shared about a little while ago as we spoke about being on mission. And I want to start this morning by just contrasting two scriptures. Okay, the first one um, is, I'm not going to read it all because it's a fairly long passage, but it's Acts chapter 2 and verse 14 through to verse 42. It talks about 41. It talks about um, it's, what's happened is basically um, Jesus, after three years of ministry on this earth, was crucified. He was raised to life. He ascended into heaven. He told his disciples just before that to wait in Jerusalem until he, uh, until they received the Holy Spirit that he had spoken to them about and promised that they would receive. And we read in Acts chapter two this the the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see these men who were, who were well-intentioned but quite fearful and quite frail in their humanity, suddenly were emboldened as the Holy Spirit came upon their lives. And we see they burst out of the streets and they were speaking in languages they didn't understand and they were declaring the praises of God. And suddenly they didn't care what happened to them. A bit different from hiding away uh, from the people. Suddenly they're out in the streets just, just talking about the goodness of God. And you know, people didn't really get what was going on because they knew these guys and they thought, what's all this language business? What's that stuff? And so Peter calls them together and with the eleven he stands up and he begins to to tell them a little bit about what's been going on. Because they were all aware of, of Jesus and what he'd been doing. they all had, obviously, the, the, the heights of expectation as Jesus you know, triumphantly entered Jerusalem. And, and you know, they were probably there cheering. this. And, and then suddenly, a week later, there was the, the low of the crucifixion. And then there was whispers of a resurrection. And all of these things were going on. And Peter stands up and he confronts the crowd. And he begins to unpack some of what's happened. He takes them back to the Scriptures and gives them a biblical foundation for what was happening. And, and, and then he even begins to challenge them. the fact that They've been part of it and you know, God knew what was going to happen and so on and so forth. And at the end of it, the people are undone. And some of them say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter responds by saying, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. And it goes on to say that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That's a pretty exciting day in church history. You'd agree. And you know, there's no question about that. And uh, the next scripture I want to have a look at is in John chapter 1. And um, I'm just going to read it to you. It should be up here in just a moment. But this is before Peter was even a Christian. Okay, It says that the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him saying this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. And so these guys had been following John the Baptist, who was there. His ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus. Okay, and so John was had, you know, Jesus had been and seen John before that, and John had been speaking to his disciples about who Jesus was. And so on this particular occasion, they just follow Jesus. If we can have the next slide up, that'd be great. Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter." And so, why would I contrast those two scriptures? Well, simply because they are such a contrast. One is about Peter at the height of his power, if you like. You know, one of the twelve, the apostles, the disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preaching up a storm and seeing three thousand people come to Jesus. You know, in an afternoon. I mean, that's pretty exciting. And then we see this other situation, which is Andrew, the brother of Peter, who was a follower of John. So, possibly, you know, the, the more spiritual one of the family. Um, and Peter was just doing his thing. But Andrew, having met, um, having heard what John had said about Jesus, then having followed Jesus, spent the day with Jesus, heard him out, had come to the conclusion that this is who John said he is. This is who we're looking for. And so he goes straight away and he gathers his brother. And they go back and they meet with Jesus. And the rest, as they say, is history. Thank you. (laughs) And so I want to talk about this concept, the power of one. Because again, if we compare those two things, we'd say, well, which is the most significant? Which is the most important day? And which one is the most important day? Well, I guess it depends who you are. (laughs) The day we meet Jesus is, is the most important day for the person that's meeting Jesus on that day. But it, and, and certainly the first account, 3,000 people getting saved, is certainly the most spectacular day, if you compare it to the other day. But I don't know that it was the most significant day because the second day wouldn't have happened, the 3,000 people wouldn't have been saved if the first day hadn't happened. You know what I'm saying? And so I want to have a look today at the power of one. One person, just being faithful, just sharing what they know, and affecting another person, and ultimately affecting what they know, and seeing their life transformed, and ultimately that person may go on and do amazing things for God, but it comes back to that power of that one person, just being faithful with what they already have. And so I want to look this morning at three things that we already have, three things that we probably have taken for granted As Christians, And again, most of us here will be Christians. There will be some possibly that are not Christians. And you are just so welcome to be here. It's great to have you with us. And you're possibly here as a result of some of what I'm going to share about today. Maybe you're in that no man's land. Maybe you don't know whether you're a Christian yet or not. And you're just here getting more information. That's awesome. And I hope that what I share today along the way will make sense and help you to feel more at ease about being here and give you license to to just ask as many questions as you possibly can and to wrestle with some of the things that we're talking about. Okay, so again, many of us, I think, when it comes to this term you know, evangelism, I think Tone mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. He spoke about evangelism and witnessing and how we often get it around our neck. And I think part of the reason for that is because when we think of that term evangelism, or when we talk about witnessing, we often are drawn back to think about the sorts of things that Peter, and we think, well, I could never do that. I could never stand in front of that many people, never mind string two words together that actually make sense. And so we, we, we put ourselves out of the game. We psych ourselves out before we even started. And that's why I want to take us back to what Andrew did. Because I think that brings us back into the game. Who of us cannot get along to a family member or a friend or a workmate and an acquaintance and do for Peter what Andrew did? Do what Andrew did for Peter. Okay, so I want to have a look at three things briefly this morning. Three things that we, we all have, we can all do. Even if you're not a Christian here today, you're included. You can still do the things that I'm talking about today. All right, and in fact, we've seen this happen. We have seen people come to this church through non-Christians in this church. All right, so the first thing I want to have a look at is our story. Okay, you have a story. You have something to say. You know, Mark um, chapter five. There's an amazing encounter with Jesus and a man. Who, you know, the Bible talks about has, is the demoniac. Okay, what that simply means is that here is a man. Who had got caught up in some spiritual activity and been overwhelmed by it, and you know this wasn't just you know a person that's maybe been involved in a séance and having nightmares, you know, (laughs) or whatever. This is this is like this guy. It seemed like he was life was fully controlled. He was to the point where he was living in the tombs. Okay, he was running around with no clothes on. I mean, you can imagine going past this cemetery and you can hear this guy screaming and carrying on. You think, whoa, that is freaky. What's going on? It says they couldn't even chain him up. They were trying to keep him under control because obviously a threat to himself and to others. And they chained him up. So he just, just break the chains because of supernatural power in operation in his life. And the long and short of it is that Jesus seems, to, seems like he just made a beeline for this man. And the man falls down before Jesus and Jesus ultimately casts out those evil spirits and the man is left, they clothe him, he's in his right mind and obviously he is just so thankful to Jesus and he wants to follow Jesus and become one of his disciples. And Jesus interestingly says, no, go back to your family, tell them how much God has done for you and tell them about the mercy that he's had on you. And he just sends him back and it says that he went back to the Decapolis, the 10th city, and he was just... Only too happy to tell people his story. And so my question to us today is, what's our story? You might say, well, I don't have a story compared to that particularly. <laughs> I mean, mate, how can I compete? It's not fair. But the fact is, you know, we've all heard amazing testimonies, if you like, and uh, you know, some of those testimonies are, are quite extravagant, and, and some of them are possibly not even true. <laughs> you know, but some people like to have a story, like to embellish their story. I mean, we've, many of us have been inspired by people's stories. But at the end of the day, what's your story? Because your story is significant. There are people that can relate to your story that maybe can't relate to the person who was a murderer and a drug dealer and a, a criminal mastermind and then met Jesus and whatever. So you know they're great, those stories, and praise God for them. But most of us don't relate to that. But most people can relate to your story. And so I want to encourage you to think about what your story is. Your story might be really, really simple. It might be like, I went to church on Sunday, and what I heard really helped me to be a better husband or a better wife. That's part of your story. We're talking about just sharing stuff that is relevant to where people are at in order that their perception of Jesus and the church might be lifted. Because for the most part, people are suspicious of the church and suspicious of Christians. And so whatever we can do to share about what's going on, if we went to church and we had a ball, let's tell people. (laughs) If we went to church and it helped us be better parents, let's tell people. If we met some great people at church, let's let them know. If Jesus has helped us to overcome some life-controlling issues, let's tell them. Let's just get it out there what God has done in our life. And if I can say, when you do it, be real about it. Be natural. Try and keep it relevant to where they're at. I mean, I've been so guilty of doing dumb stuff when it comes to sharing my faith. You know, like I've been in people's face. I've tried to win an argument. I remember Paul, many many years ago, he says it's better sometimes to just lose an argument and keep the friendship. He probably told me that a little bit too late (laughs) when it came to the friendships in the situation we were probably addressing. But, you know, I I can remember days saying some really, really dumb stuff because I didn't get this when I was at uni and uh, harassing people and telling them they're going to go to hell. If I don't turn, they'll burn, all that sort of nonsense. It's not nonsense in the sense that there's there's truths there, but in terms of approaching people and trying to, you know, get a hearing and not just have them think you're a religious nutter. uh, Yeah. And so, think about who you're talking to. Think about what, what's going to be relevant to where they're at. And what can you share? It might be your testimony, your story of how you became a Christian. That's part of your story. But it might just be the story about what happened on Sunday, or what happened at the bloke event, or what happened at Real Men, or Sigwa, or those sorts of things. What happened to a friend of yours at church? What happened to a family of yours? At church? How a marriage is reconciled through what God working into a situation. All of these are wonderful stories that people are only too willing to listen to, for the most part. If we will cut out some of the religious jargon, get rid of some of the Christianese words, just keep it real, keep it normal, speak English, if you're speaking to English people, <laughs> and if you speak other languages to other people, that's awesome as well. But just, you know, let's not be hyper-faith, let's not just get in people's face and be rude and, and tell them things they don't necessarily want to hear, that they're not ready for. I mean, even when, even when it comes to your story, you can tell your story in a way that's engaging and, and helpful to them, and, and, and want them leaving more, asking for more, or you can you know bring out the well. It all started when I was born, you know. I mean, straight away you've lost them, you know. You should think about what you have to share, what what your story is, and condense it down so that you can share it succinctly, rationally, um, in a way that's engaging and interesting, you know, in a few minutes. And so then, if they want to know more, they can. They can ask us rather than just bore people silly with this long story that half the words they don't even understand because it's just Christianese and all that sort of thing. And again, okay, I've been guilty of that, all right? So I'm not having a shot at anyone here. I'm just saying that's what I've done. So learn from my mistakes. You know, Sally Ann was um, at the hairdresser just recently and she said, um, the lady just, just asked her, How was your weekend? Or what did you get up to on the weekend? And Sally Ann said, Went to church. And this precious young girl just said, "Ah, oh, church. I went to church once. When I was a little girl, I remember going to church with my grandfather and we ate these, these wafer things. What's that about? And so Sally-Ann just was able to share a little bit about what communion was. And then she goes, um, she was talking about, she goes, oh, I've, I've, I, remember, I remember having, a, someone gave me, a, my grandfather gave me a Bible. And I remember when I was a little girl reading it. And he, he said, I remember reading a story about, a I think it was a boy called Samuel, or I don't know if you remember the name, but she said, and God spoke to him. Then she goes, do you think God still speaks to people today? Oh, no, first of all, she said, do you think that's true? Sally goes, yeah, I do think that's true. I think God does speak to people. She goes, do you think he still does it today? And Sally goes, well, yeah, God does. He, he loves people and he wants to affect people today. And then she, he, she was able to just go on and share about Hannah and how God healed her today. And so this, this young girl is just, just being engaged. She wasn't offended. Sally wasn't, wasn't pushy or rude. But she was just, this girl was just drawing things out of her. She just had something to say. And I think there are people in your world, if we will keep our eyes and ears open, that are only too willing to listen to what you've got to say. Okay, I think you know. Just tell people what we've seen, tell people what we've heard, what we've experienced. We don't have to preach it. Then we don't have to tell them a whole bunch of things that they're not even interested in. But they're interested in your story. People love stories. They love stories that are relevant. They love stories that are real. They love stories that relate to where they're at in life. And I think we can go a long way if we just recognise what we already have to share. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing that we have is our invitation. You know, if we go back to Andrew, he simply just asked, or well, probably was a bit more forcible, he said, I found the Messiah. And he took Peter to meet Jesus. We read, we've, um, Tone referred to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 quite a few times just recently. And, you know, one of the amazing things about this woman was that again, she went back to her town. And after having heard what Jesus had said to her, her head was just spinning, and she said, Come and hear about a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Come and hear for yourself. Come and see this guy for yourself. And I think, again, we can do worse. We don't need to get all preachy. We don't need to tell people what they should do or what they shouldn't do, or what's going to happen if they don't do this, or why they should get their life right. And all that. Let's not start there. Let's just, what about if we started with, I've been going to church and it's great. My life is so different since I met Jesus. My marriage is better for it. My kids are better. I'm so excited about who my kids are hanging around with and some of the changes I'm seeing going on there. You start there, and then you say, would you like to come along and check it out? Again, I reckon you've already got people in your world who would say yes to that without even thinking. I reckon there are people in your world, dare I say, even that are waiting for you to ask. In fact, the only reason they're not here is you haven't asked them yet. We've, we, in our thinking, we've built it up to be bigger than Ben Hur. Oh, getting people to church is so hard. <laughs> you know, it's a secular world out there. It's relativistic. It's this, it's that, whatever. You know, it's just so hard. Everyone hates the church. You always get a bad rap on TV. <laughs> why would they want to come to church? Well, probably because they've been watching your life and they're thinking, what's going on in your life is probably not too bad. So that's why they'd come to church. Some people, they get to church and they say, oh, I should have come here ages ago. Why didn't you ask me before? And so that's the first thing. I want to encourage that There are people you, you only have to ask them. Okay, maybe a little bit of give and take. You know, some people get all intense about getting someone to church and oh, you won't to come to church with me. I'm thinking, well, have you ever done anything with them? Like maybe they're into football. You know, they think church is your thing, football's their thing. Go to the footy with them first. So if you go to, I'll go to the footy if you come to church with me. Maybe that could work. Many people are going to say yes straight up. To maybe not to this Sunday service, maybe that's going to be too much for them, but maybe they'll say yes to coming to the bloke or Sigwo. Maybe they'll say yes to coming to a barbie with a few friends from church. You know, It's about building trust. It's about breaking down people's preconceived ideas, suspicion, scepticism, and all of those things that are associated with church. Okay, So let's, let's just ask. And again, if someone says no, it, it's not a no-never. It's like a no, I can't make it. Maybe I've got something else on. It's not necessarily, I hate you now, <laughs> but sometimes we just take it so personally when someone says no to us and we, we get all freaked out and we don't ask again. But you know, I've, I know people I've had in church who have just, just been through sheer volume of times I've asked them. Again, not, in, not being all rude and tense about it, but just ask. And if they say no, just carry on with the conversation. But if you keep asking, there's going to come a point where they don't have any excuse. They don't have anything else on that day. You know, maybe their circumstances in life change and they feel like they more ready to hear some of the things that might happen at church than, than they currently are. So don't, don't get intimidated if someone says no, but just be prepared to ask and keep on asking. And the last thing is, you know, I, I think you can help, we can help people to say yes by, I guess, preparing the ground. That's good. And again, you know, like I said, people do have all these thoughts about what church is like and what's going to happen when they get there. So let's help prepare them for what's going to happen when they get here. Let's tell them about the sort of things that are going to go on the sort of things that aren't going to go on, the sort of commitments they're not going to have to make. You know, we're not going to have to sign on the line You know, right away half their finances or whatever just to walk through the door because people think that. The church only wants your money. They're probably going to try and sign me up when I first get in there. Maybe they think you know they're going to, they're going to make you put your hand up and everyone's going to look at you and point at you and you know, think you're an evil person or something because they think, again, everyone in church is perfect and they're going to be the only sinner in the room. You know, they're going to be one with all the problems. That's just the way they think. So I think, again, the more we can help people to understand, hey, look, th- these are a fairly normal bunch of guys at church. And maybe I can help you understand that by inviting you to a barbecue with a few people or maybe we can go fishing or whatever. But what we can do to break the ice, I say get them along to something that's going on in the church, get their kids involved somewhere, because it's about trust. Most people don't trust the church, they don't trust Christians, but they know and trust you. So let's use it to our advantage. Okay, so that's, that's the second thing. The third thing I think that we really have going in our favour, um, which we often underestimate, is just our transformation. Your transformation. If we can have a scripture up here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, We who with unveiled faces all reflect, reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the, the Lord who is the Spirit. Now again... I think any person who is half serious about their relationship with Jesus is seeking to follow him, is waking up in the morning and just saying, God, help me do this day better. Help me to just think a little bit more like you do today. Help me to be a little bit more aware of what's going on around me. Help me to be more loving, more. You know, in other words, we put ourselves in the position to work with God. God is committed to our transformation. I'm not saying you're gonna to come to church once, get a ticket to heaven, go away and do your own thing. That's that's not gonna happen. Transformation is not gonna happen if you just do that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are in a relationship with God. Yeah, we're messing up, we're not perfect. But we're on a journey. And no person in this room who has met Jesus and been in by him is the same as when they first met him. It's like when you get married, you know, there are things in your it's just Things change because you're in love with a person. And you, there are things that you do initially that just tick them off, but you, you don't want to keep ticking them off because you love them. And so you make adjustments. And so too, when we love our God and we recognise what pleases him and what offends him, what he likes and what he doesn't like, our life changes. Not only that, because you know, if it was just up to our intentions, we'd we, we fail at that, but this Holy Spirit who we have mentioned at the start, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. He is the gift from Jesus to empower us to live up to some of the good intentions that we actually have. And so, you know, people are going to notice a difference in your life. And they might not want to hear your story initially. They might say, well, I know you and I don't trust you. And that's the one thing they trust about you is that they can't trust you. And that's that's actually a win. (laughs) It's actually a win because you are a constant in their life. And when they see you begin to change and actually become more trustworthy, that, that messes with their head. You will change. They might say no a thousand times, but the good thing is, for the most part, we have time on our side. I mean, I, I'm committed to this. If I've got someone in my world, in my immediate vicinity, who's going to get hit by a bus tomorrow, God is probably going to convict me Give me the wisdom, give me the discernment, the revelation, whatever it is, the gift of knowledge to be able to, and the courage to be able to confront them and tell them if you don't turn, you know, you got to get, you're going to go to hell whatever. You know, if they've got really just a few hours left, that might be what they need. But for most of us we've got years. For most of us we've got years. You know, maybe your partner's not saved right now and doesn't want a bar of church. But some of them, you know, the way we do our Christianity, you have to say, "Well, I get that." You know, maybe you've become a Christian and, and, you know, you got all judgmental and uppity about it. And, and they've began to feel the wrath of you. And, um, you know, you're never around anymore and all of that sort of stuff. Well, again, we need to be wise. And I think we might start like that. That's certainly how I started as a Christian. I was full of myself and, and you know, what I, little bit I knew about God's will for everyone's life and was happy to tell them about it. Um, but the thing is, 10 years in, as a Christian, even if you start as that really horrible Christian partner that's, you know, leaving tracks under the toilet roll and all that sort of stuff and always talking about, you know, partnering with your Christian friends are over and telling them what a rotten sinner he is or whatever, you know, over 10 years, hopefully, God is going to get into your life and you're going to become more patient. You're going to become more kind. You're going to become wiser. And all of these things are going on in your life. You're going to be able to learn how to apologize. You're going to learn to ask forgiveness because this is the nature and character of God that's being recreated in us. You know, we were created to be like that. I mentioned before about Jesus being the most beautiful person in the world. We were all created to be like that. And when Adam and Eve decided to do their own thing, you know, man took, mankind took a massive hit. But the image of God in us was, was broken, but not totally lost. And God is in the, image, in the business now of rebuilding that image in us. And so from here until the rest of our lives, one degree after another, slowly but surely, one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. You know, there might be things I'm battling with today, but it doesn't mean I'm condemned to battle with them for the rest of my life. I can get victory over certain areas in my life. There is my, my character, my nature will become sweeter as I get closer to Jesus because he's the sweetest person you're ever going to meet. And so that is the most powerful Testimony. That is the most, that is the most powerful um, um, and motivational, influential thing that we have is our own life. So don't be intimidated if someone you know, says, Oh, look at you, call yourself a Christian. Yeah, okay, so I messed up today. Even the way we respond can be different. We can still mess up, we can still be as nasty, we can be as mean, as loud, and all of that sort of thing. And they'll say, Oh, call yourself a Christian. Maybe it's just the, Yeah, you're right, I'm sorry. That's change, that's part of the transformation. Okay, we're not going to be perfect. And again, the more we try and get people to think we are perfect, the more we're kidding ourselves. Um, it's, it's a lifelong journey, this thing. Yeah. Okay, but I want, you to, I want to encourage you that your life is speaking loudly right now. It's speaking loudly to those who love you. It's even speaking loudly to those who hate you. Some of your biggest opponents at work right now, there's a time coming, possibly in months, maybe in years, when they're going to come to you for advice. Because they're watching your marriage. They're watching your kids. They're watching you, the way you respond to some of the stuff that goes on at work that isn't really fair. And you'd be right within your rights to go and snot someone. But when you don't, and when you don't get all bitter and twisted about it, and when you don't gossip about them, when, you don't say, when they actually hear that you've invited them over for dinner, it messes with their heads. But that's what Christians do. And so I want to encourage it. it doesn't matter where you're at right now, and it doesn't matter where those around about you are at right now, God is committed to your transformation. And when one thing changes in an equation, it changes everything. And so even those vehement, violent opponents of yours are going to be touched by the transformation that God is bringing about in your life. So I want to encourage you not to underestimate the power of one. The power of you as an individual. The power of you at home as a husband, wife, son, daughter, family member, the power of you at work or at school or at university, you are God's person for the hour. You are absolutely, massively significant in God's economy for this world. Peter wouldn't have affected 3,000 people, and that was just the start in terms of the, the birth of the church, if Andrew hadn't just invited him along to hear about Jesus, to come and see and hear. Not, you should do this, you should do that, and you know, So many people around about us, they're not interested. They don't get it. We're living in a world where many people have never been to church. They've never read, read a Bible. Never, so, so they're not frightened by hell. They've got a, an understanding that something's not quite right in here. They know that life isn't really making sense. They see a whole lot of junk going around, around them, but they're, they're reacting to that junk and adding to it. But when some people come in that have the nature and character of Christ... And begin to talk about a world that is other than where they're living. You know, many people today are lonely. And yet we have the privileged community in the church. We've got friends and family, people that are gonna gonna cover our back. People that are gonna bring a meal over when we're struggling. Most people, that is is just like that is their wildest dreams wouldn't include that sort of stuff. We are living in a society that is shredded. Families are, are just being ripped to pieces, and people are lonely and they're desperate. And so when we come along and we start to talk about things that are other than what they're experiencing, when we come to just invite them to be a part of that as opposed to just mocking them and and making them feel bad that they're not, when we actually demonstrate some of what we're talking about, that is tremendously, tremendously, tremendously powerful. You know that most people who come to a relationship with Jesus, they come that way. In fact, if I was to get people to put their hand up, who came you know, through just a big crusade or a rally or an evangelistic outreach or whatever you know some of us may have done that but for many of us it was just because family and friends invited us you know the the advantage is I might not be able to trust the preacher I don't know what he's going to do with the money I don't know whether that story is really true but when you have done life with someone for 5, 10, 15, 20 years you've got a pretty good idea of where they're at and when their life begins to change when you can see their convictions about these things That builds a bridge of trust that we can then step out on. Is this making sense? The other advantage of that is obviously they come into a, they've already got friends and family when they come to church. They've already got connections. That makes it so much easier for them to come in and to stick. Because again, no one really wants, you know, we're not here as a church to get people to put their hand up at the end of a service, say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, and then never see them again. Now, we want people, we are here, as Ashley so wonderfully said in the prayer meeting this morning, we exist to connect people to God, to His church and to their purpose. That's where it's at. That's why we're here. And so I want to encourage us to recognize that, you know, that your friends, your family, you can have a significant part in bringing them in to that. Again, the whole trusting is massive. So many are struggling today. Again, this isn't about building the church. This isn't about, you know, the church as in like a club or whatever and just getting numbers for numbers. This is about when we share our faith with others, when we determine to introduce people to Jesus, we are changing everything for them. We are changing their future, short term and long term. We are changing ultimately their life, their family their broader community, their circle of friends. you know And we tap into all of that when one person comes to Christ. And so don't underestimate the power of just what you can do. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.